Good morning. Perhaps, Nick, before you sit, could you pass me my Bible? It's under my seat there. <laughs> it's kind of the way my day is going today, so I just like, no, 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 I don't need the power drink, just the Bible. I just need the power, not the drink. <laughs> Thank you. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be here with you this morning. Um, I probably shouldn't have said in the uh, last service that I had spoken to my neighbor with COVID because I see everybody has socially distanced themselves from the platform and they're all way back there. So I will be hugging each of you on the way out the door unless you start filling up a couple of the seats up the front here because I don't know who I'm preaching to. I can see Ime, that's it. So, all right, let's, let's pray. Father, thank you. This morning we can come together and we can um, sing praises to the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. And we thank you for him, for all that he is and that all he has done for us. May we magnify him with our words this morning. May our hearts turn to him and may we become more like him. Lord, if there's anybody here this morning who does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, may this be the day that they will put their faith fully in him and him alone. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. And Murdoch says, <laughs> amen. Um, so, I was inspired by our last men's study, and if you're able to come to our next men's study, I'm sure you'll get inspiration as well, but... I, I was going to preach on something else today, totally different. And uh, I was at the men's study a week ago last Saturday, and I thought, this is very meaningful to me. Not just to me, but this is very meaningful to all believers. And we often ignore it or we do the wrong thing with it. Uh, for me, an old brethren guy to stand up here and to preach on this message today is not something very common because we kind of like it's, like, it's like a pylon on the road. You just drive around it and keep on going because mm, no, the world has taken this for their own and they, they have made it something that it shouldn't be. But I look at it and think, and it was in the passage that was read this morning, this is a very powerful prayer. This prayer is in my scriptures in red letters. Why would I ignore it? Why would I sidestep it? Why would I not take it as my own when my Savior has said, pray in this manner? This is a command from the Lord of heaven, from Jesus Christ. And it's repeated in two different circumstances in the Gospels. So anything that comes in red letters, I better pay attention. Anything that is repeated is there because I'm probably going to forget the first time I see it and I better get it the second time. My dad would say, don't let me repeat myself. That meant this is really important and you better get it. So our Father in heaven says, 
I'm going to repeat this because I am kinder than my dad was. And you're going to, you're, you're going to get this. It's interesting because I, I read this past week on, there was an Angus Reid poll done in Canada on prayer. In the, in the U.S., about 57, 58% of people claim that they pray every day. In Canada, it's much less than that. In fact, I think it was like 43% said that they pray, prayed in the past year. What? What? That's of all, all faiths, of all belief systems. So it's heavily skewed by those who see prayer as a duty in their faith. I'd say the rest are probably Christians who pray, and some are those who do what often people will do, and they're programmed to, to pray empty words. Now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep, and all the rest of that stuff. Or, a brother that was here a couple of weeks ago said, he went to confession, he confessed his sins, and the priest said, okay, I'm gonna punish you, go out and pray. <laughs> say, five Our Fathers and three Hail Marys. Empty, vain repetition. I used to pray as a child. This was one of the things I used to pray when I laid in my bed. Didn't quite know, but I thought, I need to pray, so I should pray this. It's the only prayer I know. And I would end up by saying, please give me, my mom and dad, and my grandfather very, very, very long lives. And I pray that you will save my soul someday. Because I knew, as a little boy, I needed that. But it became just kind of a, just before I closed my eyes, I would say these things. I would say these things, and, and I don't know if it had any meaning to me, really. To, I, I, they probably did as a child, but it kind of went away. And some people pray out of guilt. Not out of love or out of faith. They pray out of guilt. Man, I shouldn't have done that. Lord, I'm sorry I did that. Okay, so now, let's get on with life. And some treat prayer like, like a spare tire. It's an emergency. I'll pull it out when I need it. I'll, I'll, I'll pull the prayer out of the trunk and install it in my life when I hit a crisis. Bad idea. I mean, it's good to have a spare tire. In fact, I was with somebody in this congregation one night and it was very, very good we had a spare tire. It didn't have air in it, but it was a spare tire anyway. <laughs> but it was also very good that he had a pump to pump up the spare tire so we were able to get on our way. But prayer is not a spare tire. Prayer is something that we should all enjoy, deep, wonderful, and part of our relationship with our God if we know him. Now, what I'm going to speak on this morning is often called the Lord's Prayer, but it is actually not the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is found in John chapter 17. This is the model prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. So you can call it the disciples' prayer. You can call it your prayer. You can call it the Our Father prayer, whatever you want to call it. But it's a powerful prayer. Every believer, every believer, really, our desire is to have an effective, deeper, more intimate relationship with God through our prayer. I, I, f I have to say, um, first of all, um, today, actually, is the second anniversary of the day that I last worked at my former job. I went through almost two years, two years less two weeks, of a period of unemployment. 
The first thing I want to say is thank you to everybody here who prayed for me. That kept me going. The kind words. The, the, people gave me gifts. Gifts of money. And, and, and people, people just told me keep on going. And people just said, I'm praying for you. Thank you so much. But you know, one of the first things I realized when, when I first found myself in this state, where has my prayer life been while I was gainfully employed and when all was going well? I gotta get that spare tire out. And then I realized I'm treating the Lord as a spare tire. Now, I didn't think of it as a spare tire back then. That's new inspiration for this message. But that's the way I was treating it. Okay, now I've got a crisis. Now I go to the Lord. And I found that I had to deal with a lot of spiritual issues in my life over the last two years. Are they gone? Are they fixed? No. But they came to light. And it, it came to light for me that God has given me two years of maybe wilderness, you might want to call it. Not barrenness, but wilderness to discover some things about him. And one of the things that I discovered is that there are many things about him that I didn't know. And there are many things that we will see in this prayer as we go through it. You see, Jesus tells people not to go with vain repetition when you pray. Unfortunately, this fantastic prayer has been the model poster child for vain repetition. Go out and say ten our fathers and your sins will be forgiven for now. We, we went Sam probably doesn't remember this, he's only eight years old, but we, we went to this big cathedral in Montreal. We thought, oh wow, this looks fantastic. Look at the architecture and everything else. And I said, yeah, whatever. And my brother wanted to get in with his camera and take pictures, and we got in there, and then they had, well, it was bad enough. It was just like repeated prayers. I could tell it was the same thing over and over and over and over again, playing through the PA system, and people were mumbling along with it. But to compound it, it was in French, and I don't speak French. <laughs> so it was really, really strange for me. But this is probably one of the things that they just keep repeating over and over again. I thought, this is so meaningless. The people don't even know what they're saying or what they're doing. It has no meaning. It's just mumbling whatever they're hearing from the, from the PA system. And sometimes, a lot of times, unfortunately, this prayer has been treated that way. And that's not what it is. You see, twice this prayer is repeated in the Bible. And the part we're going to look at today is when the Lord Jesus Christ is giving a sermon on the mount. But a time after that, the disciples saw him off praying and he finished and he came over and they, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And this is what he did. They didn't say, Lord, teach us to preach. Lord, teach us to prophesy. Lord, teach us to heal the sick. Lord, teach us to be really gifted. Teach us how to build a ministry. Teach us how to be good husbands. It wasn't that. Lord, teach us to pray. It's the core of the Christian faith. It is the core of what we need to do, what we are. They were convinced that prayer was the secret and the foundation of his ministry. And the Lord Jesus himself did very little without prayer. The greatest prayer in the Bible is John 17, which was just before he went to the cross. I used to think that this prayer was only an example or an outline of how prayer should be. 
shouldn't be repeated verbatim. I believe that. But I think it's more than that. I have found myself lost for words. I don't know what to say. And sometimes if I take this prayer and pray it from my heart to the Lord, it's like, Lord, I, I, you know those groanings that it speaks of in Romans where you just, you don't know what to say, but you just, sometimes this prayer is one that, that you can do it. Now, I, I don't think that there's anything wrong with repeating this prayer verbatim as it is. One, it's memorizing scripture. It's, that's, that's always good for you. Two, the word, the key word in meaningless repetition is the word meaningless. It's not repetition. It's meaningless repetition. Repetition is the problem. Repetition, there's nothing wrong with the repetition. We do that every week. We come up here, we sing the same songs. We read the same scriptures many times at the Lord's Supper. We say the same things in our prayers many times. Is there anything wrong with that? No. If it's meaningless, there is something wrong with it, but it's meaningless repetition we don't want. And so no matter what I say, if my heart isn't right, and if my heart isn't in tune, it profits me nothing. I really got to fly here because we, we sang till what, 5 to 12? Yeah, good. Okay. There are two characteristics of this. Here, let me, it was read, so I'm, I'm just going to go to part of this. Verse 6. I know it says Luke 11 at the top, but that was to remind me to mention the Luke 11 part of it. But this is Matthew chapter 6. Verse 6. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you've shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And then it says in verse 9, And in this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. There are two parts to this prayer. The first part in verses 9, 10, and the first part, or the last part of 13, point us to God. They're about God. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then there's a part about us. Give us this day, our daily bread, and so on. So it points to God first, and then to us later. It's a very complete prayer. It covers all of our needs, it cover, covers all of God's worthiness. Everything about God that we need to know is covered in this prayer. Everything about our needs is covered in this prayer. And it's a concise prayer. I like that. Sometimes we think that the strength of the prayer is in direct proportion to the length of the prayer. Not really. Get it out there. Just say it. Don't you know, there's a, there's a little book. I like it. Emei doesn't like it. The title. The book is good. Sense and Nonsense About Prayer by, by uh, Lehman Strauss. It, it, it's a good little book, actually. But sometimes we decide that we're just going to ask the Lord to come and, and help our little church with all of these things 
But we, we have to, I mean, we've got to get lofty first. I mean, let's, let's t- spend 10 minutes saying the same thing about poor so-and-so is sick. And Lord, I have to tell you, Lord, because you don't know. He's in the hospital. And Lord, you, you probably don't know, but he's in great pain today. And Lord, you probably don't know, but his heart is for you. But, you know, no, we can, we can skip some of that. We can just get to the point. Lord, please pray, or we pray that you please heal our brother. It means a lot to us. But we need to understand who we're praying to first, and that's why this prayer is laid out this way. Jesus' prayers were complete, but they were concise. This one's only, it depends on the version you're looking at, around 65 words, but it says so much. There's there's an example back in Numbers when Moses' sister Miriam got leprosy. And what does Moses say? He prays, heal her now, O God, I beseech thee. That's it. Heal her now, God, I beseech thee. Very simple, very concise. But got to the point. So six elements of this prayer. I have six points. I won't make all of them as long as this introduction. God's person, God's purpose, God's provision, God's pardon, God's protection, and God's preeminence, hashtag John McKim. So, when, when you look at this prayer, God's person, in this manner therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. First of all, Jesus is blowing this up big time. He didn't say El Shaddai. He didn't say Yahweh. What? He said, Father, you pray Father? You are supposed to pray Father? Jews didn't call, Jesus, or didn't call God Father at that time. This just blew them away. They're like, whoa, what did he say? Did he, did he say Abba, Father? And, and even almost with a term of endearment, like my dad. Pray to your heavenly dad. Wow. You see, our relationship with him has changed when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible's clear. You don't believe, and you don't know God, and you have not entered into salvation. You are of your father, the devil, Scripture says. But here it says in John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, he came to his own, and his own, this is speaking of Jesus Christ, his own did not receive him, but as many as received him, as many as received him, He gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. Through faith, we are adopted into his family. Believers are children of God. I have to admit, over the past two years, it was so important for me to understand that I am a child of God. If I did not have that hope, if I did not have that truth in my life, I would have sunk, I'm sure, into some of the deepest depression in dark places that I would, I would just dread my heart going. I understand that he is my father. He is our father. Baptists, brethren, Pentecostals, despite what the speaker a couple of weeks ago said, Presbyterians, all who believe on him, all who believe on him, he is your father. He is our father throughout the ages, forever, eternally, my father. 
And then the next thing, he's my father in heaven. That brings about a reverence. I just don't walk up and say, Abba Father, give me this, will you, please? I mean, I need it now. Come on. You know, I don't treat him that way. He is my father in heaven. He is, hallowed be your name. It's a, it's a reverence for him. He's Ecclesiastes, I just read through Ecclesiastes at home. Chapter five, verse two. Do not be rash with your mouth and do not let your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. You know, when I wanted to talk to my dad, now just because of who my dad was, I always made sure my words were few. I always made sure my words were few, recognizing who he was. And I think when I come to God, it's a little different because I know he's a father who loves me, who cares for me, who ultimately wants my best, but he is also the God in heaven. He is the creator of all things. He knows me. He knows what we, the things that we don't know. His vantage point is from heaven. He sees all, all the time. He has all the resources he needs. But we go to him first. And the first part of this prayer is, in this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, recognizing who he is. There's a prayer in Acts chapter four when persecution started coming upon the church. And I'm only gonna take a small snippet of it here. Did I put it up? Uh, Yes, Acts chapter four, verses uh, 24 to 31. So they were going through this, this time of great persecution. So what they did was they, they went and they, so when they heard it, it says they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and, uh, heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The king of the er- kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord against, and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever, um, whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Okay, all of that, all of that is to start their prayer. We recognize who we're going to. And the more I say about him, the, more I, uh, the, more I, the, the further down on my knees I get when I recognize who I'm talking to. And then they said in verse 29, now Lord, look on their threats and grant your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that the signs and wonders may be done through, uh, through the name of your holy servants, servant Jesus Christ. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. What a prayer meeting that was. But you know what? There are times our little prayer meeting in the back here feels like the same. I've come away felt almost like the building has shaken because God has answered prayer. I started going through our prayer list the other day and and just mentally looking and said, I wonder how many prayers that we've prayed over the last while have been answered as I look down through names. I won't belabor it because time is drifting on me here, but so many, so many. 
So many times we have come and, and gone to the king of heaven with our needs and he has answered our prayers. Hallowed be your name. This is the God of heaven we come to. His name is most awesome. He is holy. He is righteous. He is worthy. He is worthy of praise. Next is his purpose. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His kingdom come, man. <laughs> Over the last two years, with all the stuff that's gone on in this world, have you prayed your kingdom come? Like, I can't wait. I can't wait. I, like I, every time I hear a trumpet, I think, is that the one? <laughs> like, <clears throat> I am so packed and ready. <clears throat> you know, so, so your kingdom come. We should be praying. We should be praying that, that the Lord comes soon. Maranatha, even so come Lord Jesus. That's the last words of the Bible. That's the, that's the last plea in the Bible. Even so come Lord Jesus. It says in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, it says the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Amen to that. We look so forward to that day when he reigns and rules upon this earth. Ultimately has the reign. Now, the other part of that is, hmm, your kingdom come, that's great. Ha, now you're talking about me. Your will be done on earth, the whole earth, which would include me. Your will be done. Not my will be done. Your will be done. Do you ever notice in our lives we're like, ah, oh, this is what I want, this is what I need, this is where, <clears throat> this is where I want to go? Where do you want me to go, Lord? What do you want me to do? What are you doing in my life? Where is this road taking me? I don't know. I'm driving at night and my headlights aren't working. But he's taking me there. Your will be done. You know, one of the illustrations I, I can give you is from, again, I, I don't mean to belabor this either, but from this recent two years of, of unemployment. There are so many times, I had so many interviews, I've spoken to so many people, and have come that close, my hand on the doorknob. And I'm thinking, is this your will, Lord? If it's not, please close the door. And you know what? Within an hour, I get an email. Sorry, but we've decided that we're going to move this position somewhere else. Sorry, but we decided we put this on hold. Sorry, but, it, and I'm thinking, thank you. I don't, I mean, it's disappointing. There's no, I, I'd lie if I said it wasn't disappointing. But I was so relieved. Because this is your will being done. Do we look at the, at the things that come across our paths that aren't pleasant as saying, you know what, Lord, this is, I, I feel pretty miserable today, but this is your will being done. Thank you. That's the way we need to look at things in our lives. Your will be done. He is the authority in your life. Is he? He should be. He should be the theme of your life. He should be the one that that you understand your kingdom has shifted from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of heaven. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. It's a foolish thing for me to put my will ahead of the will of God. 
It will land me in bad places. Ruth Graham Bell said, I'm glad I followed and tried to follow the will of God, otherwise I would have married the wrong man 15 times over. That would have been weird. But, but she recognized that she fell into, into a place where she had to just completely submit to the will of God. Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus Christ is the bread of life. Do you remember manna in the Old Testament? Children of Israel, hungry, starving, perhaps, as they're traveling through. Well, where are we going to get food? We're in the wilderness. Every day, God brought them manna. Every day, he provided. Every day. And on one day, he gave you enough for two days. So you didn't pick up, like, say, well, man, there's so much of this stuff, I'm just going to hoard it. Because the next day, it was putrid. He provided for a day. God will provide, and this is what I've found, God provides for today. God doesn't provide for next month. God provides for today. Give us this day, our daily bread. This is the little book I put up the picture of. I read this book just after I lost my job because I had been in the throes of a sin. And the sin was that I thought I am self-sufficient. I can just, I've got a job. I've got a good job. I've got a paycheck coming in. I've got a position. I've got all of this stuff. Look at me. If I need a spare tire, Lord, I'll let you know. All gone. And you realize, huh? What's going to happen tomorrow? Let me read a couple things from this book. Are you worried about your future? Are you worried about losing your job or your health care? Uh, the health plan goes with the job, too, when you lose it. Are you worried about getting older? It was just before my, uh, <laughs> my 60th birthday. How you'll make it financially? If your retirement money runs out? Hmm. If you have no retirement money put away? Eh. Or maybe you had retirement money put away and you lost it when the stock market crashed a month before I lost my job. How in the world are you going to make it as you get older? Here's your answer. And I'm, I'm going through all of this. Now, he doesn't give a little snippet of good sage advice. He goes to the place where you get the best advice. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 34, or 3 and 4. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been, who have been born by me from birth and have been carried from the womb. Can I deny that? No, the Lord has looked after me from the womb. I know that. Even in your old age, I will be the same. I mean, I fogged up and couldn't read the rest of my tears. Even to your graying hairs, I will bear you. I have done it. I will carry you. I will bear, I will bear you, and I will deliver you. There are no greater words of comfort to the believer if you're wondering, are you going to be provided for? He will provide for us. He is our provision. He is one who will provide abundantly, providentially, purposefully. Do you know how much, do you know how much manna was dropped in the camp in the morning when they went out to gather it up? Do you have any idea? It's, well, again, I, I marked it in here because he did the math for me. 
So they were supposed to gather an omer. You know, I mean, Esther said the other day, pass me an omer of flour, would you? <laughs> so so what, is, what is an omer? It's not what the guys hit there in Newfoundland when they get up to the bat, you know, in the ball game. Ah, oh, buddy, I saw Jimmy eating omer. <laughs> no, an omer is six pints. For those of you who can, I don't even know what six pints are. But uh, <laughs> pints are something, right? So it's, it's six pints. It's just a couple of pints, I think it is, in a, in a quart, right? Which is a liter. So, okay. So there were two million people. So God had to send 12 million pints. 12 million pints of manna every morning. That's nine million pounds. Whoa. Whoa. 10 trains of 30 cars with 15 tons in each car every morning on the ground. That's how much he provided. Does our God provide abundantly? He sure does. More than we even could ask or think. Are we thankful for that? Are we thankful for our daily food, our daily bread? Give us this day our daily bread. Give us what we need today, Lord. Now that I'm on point three, we'll go to four time. Okay. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This is a whole sermon in and of itself, maybe later. So one time, there was a, a big seminar. Many prominent theologians were there. And the question was asked to this panel that was sitting there. What is found in Christianity which is not found in any other religion? And they looked at each other and they went back and forth and they got all their words out that theologians get out, big ones and little ones and stuff that nobody would understand. And, and, and they went back and forth. Meanwhile, one of the theologians, C.S. Lewis, was on his way to this meeting, but he got stuck in traffic, and he didn't know, like, how am I going to get there? So he finally gets there, a little over an hour late, and he comes in, he sits down, he apologizes, he's on this panel, and they said, we were just debating. What is it that's found in Christianity that's not found in any other religion? We've been debating this for the last hour or so. Oh, he says, oh, <laughs> simple. The forgiveness of sins. <laughs> that's it. He just says, oh, that's simple. The forgiveness of sins. Next question, please. So really, it is the greatest thing that we have. Forgiveness of sins. Our past is buried in the sea of God's forgiveness and forgotten. Micah chapter 7, verses 8 and 9. 18 and 19. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever. Because he delights in mercy, he will again have compassion on us and subdue our iniquities. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You may have read this this morning at the breaking of bread. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. We pass this out on the streets. Are you forgiven? Are you forgiven? Your sins can be forgiven today. All of them. 
forgiven. There's more to this verse than that. There's more to this verse than that. Jesus links our forgiveness with our forgiveness of others. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's not like a one-for-one trade either. That's an assumption that you have already forgiven those that that, that have offended you. As you've already forgiven them, as you've already forgiven them, we now ask for forgiveness of ours. I'll talk a little bit more about that as I close. There's a vertical and horizontal forgiveness, and they're linked. My forgiveness between me and God is linked to my forgiveness on the horizontal plane with you. It's worded to assume that we have forgiven others before we ask him to forgive us of our debts. Ephesians chapter four, verse 32. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. And then there's God's protection. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God doesn't tempt us to sin. It says that in James chapter 1, verse 13. But he tests us. Who wants to be tested? I mean, you don't really want to. But it's a good thing. It builds your character. It draws you closer to God. It sends you to him in dependence. I've been tested these last couple of years. I have to say I've been tested in ways that I've not been tested before. Do I look at it and say, oh man, that was great. Awesome. No, when you're in it, it's miserable. But you hopefully are growing. Hopefully it drives you to God. Hopefully it drives you to Christ. Hopefully it drives you to your Bible, looking for answers. Hopefully it drives you to to times of deep prayer with him. I remember one day, just as an example, being out walking and I'm thinking, there are so many things scattered in my mind right now, I don't know what to do. So I just sat on a rock and talked out loud. Pray. He hears. Deliver me from temptation. Don't lead me into temptation. Deliver me from the evil one. The evil one is sending all kinds of crazy thoughts through my head. And you see, sometimes we'll just blame it on on the devil. Remember, (laughs) if you're old like me, and you remember Flip Wilson, the character said, the devil made me do it. Geraldine something. Anyway, you know what? Sometimes the devil didn't make me do it. Sometimes I made me do it. I followed my flesh. I followed my own desires. And I found myself in the wrong place. Deliver me. Do not lead me into temptation. Keep me from that place where I... Don't, don't pray this as you're walking into the place that you shouldn't be going. Don't pray this as you're surfing the wrong place on the net. Don't do that stuff. And then pray, Lord, I'm not strong. Keep me from that. I don't want to be led into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil world. Deliver us from the evil, sinful flesh. Deliver us from evil. And we pray looking for the day when we will be delivered permanently from evil. I can't wait. Finally, last point. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, some Bibles don't have it. Some Bibles have it in brackets. Some Bibles just put it there. 
I'm glad it's there. I'm glad it's there. I look at it. One writer says it's an explosion of praise. It ends as it begins. It comes right back to where we started. Our Father in heaven. And now thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This is who you are. You are the greatest. You are the God of heaven. You are the God of science. You've made all of these things. You, thank you, God, for making me. It might not be in some other translations, but the way I look at it, I prefer it to be there. I'm glad it's there in mine. It doesn't contradict any major truth or doctrine of the Bible. It's a fitting end to the prayer. It's all his and it's all about him when we pray. It begins and ends with him. And it recognizes who he is and it recognizes his greatness. When I consider his person, his purpose, his provision, his pardon, his protection, and his preeminence, it does two things in my life. One, I have to worship. I have to realize he is way greater than I am. He is way greater than anything I can imagine. He is the God of heaven. He is the God who made all things. He is my father. His purpose is always right. His provision is my daily bread. And he is the bread of life. His pardon that I am forgiven and I can forgive others. And his protection from temptation and from the evil one. It causes me to worship. It causes me, when I'm saying, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. My perspective changes from an earthly perspective to a heavenly perspective. The second thing, I must forgive. I have to forgive. I have no choice. You know, I, I didn't realize this verse. I, I, I know I probably read it dozens of times but I probably scanned over it. Now, there's a funny story, but it's too late, about Sam forgiving his brother 490 times. If you read the men's study, you heard it. He was about three years old and took everything literally and heard, you know, 70 times seven. So Ben did something and said, Sam, will you forgive me? He goes, oh, yeah, sure, Ben. I forgive you 490 times. See, you know, the nice thing about 490 times forgiveness is if I start keeping track of how many times have I forgiven Kathy Draper... I'm thinking, was that 315 or 316? I can't remember. Huh. I better start again because, all right, okay, we'll start again. Fresh slate and we'll, we'll get to 490. See, it's such a big number. We never remember where we are on the, on the continuum. We just keep forgiving. But this verse really, really struck me. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times a day returns to you saying, I repent, write him off. Is that what it says? Huh, no, it says you shall forgive him. So if I come up to Ime here and slug him seven times today, and each time say, ah, oh, sorry about that. Will you forgive me? What does he have to do? Forgive me all seven times. He doesn't say by the sixth time, you know what, you've done this six times, man. I'm not going to forgive you. Because you keep saying, I, I, please forgive me, I repent. But this verse tells me that when somebody comes and says, I want to I make this right with you, even if it's the same stupid sin seven times over in a day, I need to forgive them. If you want to know how in all relationships, 
you can make things work. Most relationships, most relationships, friendships, relationships with children, and relationships in marriage, do you know why they fall apart? Because people do not forgive. That is why. If you can't forgive, then it's not going to work. It's, it's the key to marriage. It's the key to family. Forgive. Even if it's seven times for the same sin and the same offense. I couldn't tell you how many times I've gone to Esther and asked her to forgive me for the same stupid things I've done over again and have never, not learned the lesson. But she does. And if you have, in your relationship with your children, or your relationship with your wife, or your husband, or whoever it may be, your coworker, and you have not forgiven when they've asked you to forgive them, it will not work. You need to forgive. The other thing is never give up pursuing that forgiveness. Even if it takes years to restore a relationship, never give up. Keep doing it. Keep asking. Keep trying. And see when that debt will be forgiven. The proof that we have been forgiven is that we are forgiving. It is part of our testimony. It is part of who we are. Finally, I'm going to close with this verse. The Bible says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. I pray today that you all know the forgiveness of God that you have come to that point where you've accepted Jesus Christ's payment for your sins on the cross and you are forgiven. This is a fantastic prayer that we looked at this morning. It contains everything that I need for my life. It tells me how to go to the Lord, how to approach him. It tells me what my needs are. It tells me how to approach my needs, the perspective to have for these needs. It tells me the perspective I need to have of where I am and where God is. May it be a blessing to you. Father, thank you this morning. Thank you for this prayer that is recorded for us. Thank you for your words that have been written down that we may have hope and life in them. Lord, help us to grow in our prayer life. Help us to be real in our lives with prayer. Thank you that you meet all of our needs. Thank you you've met our greatest need in Jesus Christ. But the physical needs of our lives, our daily bread, you will meet those needs. We just need to ask that you give us this day our daily bread. Thank you for the forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ. May we be forgiving of others. I pray, Lord, if there's any here who are in relationships that may be strained because they have not forgiven, that they will seek to forgive others and they will seek forgiveness for themselves. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.